you, as you know, we study the scriptures line upon line, chapter upon chapter, verse upon verse at Calvary Chapel. And that way we hit the whole counsel of God. And we're in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 17. Jesus is going to clean out the leaven from Father's house. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So many people today dishonor God's house. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to make sure we are reverent with our own bodies, but also corporately together as we meet. So if you would stand as we read the word of God together. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 17. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. This is the word of God. Our father, we thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God the text that you have given us as a template to live by. Lord, may we be true to your word today. May I rightly divide the word of truth. And may the Bereans in this place search the scriptures to make sure that what I have said is accurate. That's our role. Thank you that you are with us. Holy Spirit, do your work in each one of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. My house shall be called the house of prayer. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the coming king, and there's a king that is coming. I say this every week, every Sunday, but there's a king coming, and I want to remind you that regardless of what's going on in this world, there's relief. There's relief that's coming. Remember, down, 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 the stomach through, round, 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 Elka-Seltzer. Jesus is coming. He's, our El- He's going to be relief. Relief is just a swallow away. Last week, we talked about the Jericho Road, the crimson road to the cross. And we covered the triumphal entry of Jesus and how that was so accurately prophesied in Scripture that Daniel the prophet in Daniel 9.24 was praying and then Gabriel interrupted him and said, Daniel, Daniel, this is for your people and your holy city. This prophecy, the 70-week prophecy, 70-week years are given to your people, Daniel. And it was to accomplish several things that the, that the Messiah would actually accomplish if he was accepted by the nation of Israel. He was rejected. He was cut off. There was a specific time frame in there that was given from the going forth of building the wall and building the city in Jerusalem to the coming of Messiah Nagid. There would be 483 years. Now, I've, I've had this picture many times. And if you haven't been in our study of Daniel and Revelation, it might not be clear to you. So I want to, from time to time, refresh and go over this because I never want us to forget this prophecy. You must realize that you have in your hands the only book in the world, no other world religion has any fulfilled prophecy. The Bible has literally hundreds of fulfilled prophecy that gives validation that this is the truth 
and the word of God is the truth, and that Christianity is the way, as Jesus said, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I want to put this slide up here again, and I'm going to go through it in a painstaking manner, and hopefully we will all understand it. So this decree went out in 444 B.C. There was actually a time frame when it started. When Nehemiah, Artaxerxes gave the decree, and Nehemiah went back to build the walls of the city. From that starting point, 69 week years, 483 years expired until Messiah the Prince. Last week, we talked about the triumphal entry. That's just where we were of, of Jesus, Palm Sunday. And Jesus received his kingship exactly on that day. There was, a, there was Sir Robert Anderson calculated the days, 173,880 days from the going forth of the command until Messiah the Prince would come and receive his kingship and it happened exactly on that day. And it happened on a donkey, and it happened exactly as the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah and Daniel, had prophesied. Then later in that scripture in Daniel, Messiah is cut off. He is killed and rejected by the nation of Israel. Time stops for the Jewish people at the 69th week, the 483-year point. The church age starts. Now, Jesus will come back at the end of, uh, excuse me, the rapture happens here. I believe it happens in a pre-tribulation rapture. And then there's a seventh week, that last week, the 70th week occurs, and it's focused primarily, almost exclusively, on the nation of Israel. For seven years, the Antichrist will reign, and he comes to real power in the middle of the tribulation when he sets himself up in the, in the holy of holies in the temple and wants to be worshipped as God. This is called the abomination of desolation. Now, this is during this time that God, Jesus pours out all of his wrath. Antichrist has his wrath primarily poured out from this point on when he's really vicious. Now, he's always at work. He starts with the first seal judgments. He's involved. That Antichrist system is very strongly involved in killing multitudes of people. But he comes to real power at the middle of the tribulation, and then Jesus will return and deal with Antichrist. Now, this is very important because this is such a precise prophecy that no one can contrive this. No one can make this up. This is absolutely a God thing. It's just like Jesus on the colt, riding an animal that was never ridden before. He gets on it, and the colt just rides into the city. When you go into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Luke adds this anecdote that we did not have last week. There's this road there. This is the Jericho Road. And Jesus goes down that road, and he would see the city. Now, the Dome of the Rock wasn't there. It's there now. Won't be in the future, but it's there now. And he's lamenting over the city. Now, also, just as an anecdotal note, when you go to Israel, when you're going down that road, you'll also see a grave site. And you'll see literally hundreds and thousands of graves, of, of tombs. And they're all facing the eastern gate. That is where Messiah will enter the temple when he comes back. And those, they're waiting a resurrection. So that's a picture of those tombs that are waiting, all these Jewish people that are, that are buried there. Now, when Jesus enters the city, he's lamenting what is going to happen to his people. And in Luke chapter 19, the traditional Palm Sunday text that I use, and then on, we ha on our worship night, I'll probably, uh, well, I, I won't go through that again, but I'll, I'll, I usually use this text. But he says these words. Now, as he drew near... He saw the city and he wept over it. He's grieving over the city. 
Now they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now Jesus. They're praising him at this point. But he knows that they'll eventually reject him. In a few days they do and cry, crucify him. And saying, if you had known, even you, especially this your hour, this your day, the things which make for your peace. But now, now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground and will not leave one stone upon another. Now listen, in 70 AD, this came true. Titus in his legions, and I would give you a Chuck Missler quote to sound really smart because this is what Josephus said. So I just memorized this from Chuck Missler, okay? The 5th, the 10th, the 12th, the 15th legions, like I know something, you know. It came and they destroyed Jerusalem. But you know what Josephus also adds? One million men, women, and children died in that siege because they did not know the time of their visitation. They did not know that this was the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. Folks, there's an appointed time. Jesus had an appointed time when he went into Jerusalem. He expected the people of his time period to know what the prophets had said, to know what is coming. He expects us today to know what is coming. He says in Luke chapter 12, verse 54 to 56, talking to the multitudes, embedded in the multitudes are the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those ones that really hate him. He says these words. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, Immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. And then he says this, hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you do not know how to interpret this present time? He expected his people to know then, and he expects his people to know now. To have a clue what is coming. 27% of the Bible is prophecy, folks, and most people stay far from it. And that's a tragedy because God expects us to know these things. Prophecy is a big deal to God, and I believe should be a big deal to us. Now, this week, my house should be called a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And get the leaven out of your house. In 12 and 13, but my house has become a den of thieves. Now think about the church today, the corporate group meetings of the church, and think about what has happened in the church today as we go through these scriptures. It's talking about the temple then, but by extension, we can apply that to the church today. Verse 12 and 13, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written. It is written. You should know what is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Again, that's Isaiah, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now remember, Jesus has just accepted his kingship. He's just come into Jerusalem. And on that march into Jerusalem, that march ended at the temple. Mark says this in Mark 11, 11, Jesus went into Jerusalem and then into the temple. And he saw what was going on, but the hour was late. And so he goes back to Bethany, but he will come the next day and cleanse the temple. Now what Jesus sees in the temple 
that night is appalling to him. And it was blatant sin within the house of God and the people of God that wasn't being addressed. The hour was late, he goes back. Now, I want you to think about this. The Temple Mount is the holiest place in Judaism. The temple itself and the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant is where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. God shikening, dwelling, tabernacling with his people. That was the holiest place on earth. And the nation at this point is far from God. There was blatant, blatant sin in Father's house. And folks, you must know this. Please hear this. Sin must be dealt with. We do not ignore it. We do not sweep it under a rug. We do not downplay it. We do not pretend it's not sin. Sin is sin, and sin is anything contrary to what God says in his word. Okay, so that's an important thing to remember because we're living in a culture that has twisted what sin is, calling good evil and evil good. We do not do that. We stay true to the word of God, at least the true church does. Now, you know that when you think about the temple, Solomon built the first temple. That was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. It was destroyed because of idolatry, false worship. The nation of Israel was, listen to this, worshiping God, but at the same time worshiping the gods of the world. That's what they were doing. They had this divided allegiance. And it says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15, what God did to try to turn his people. Whenever there's a problem, God sends a prophet in the Old Testament. And it says this, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them, these are the prophets, his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people. See, the greatest love, the greatest compassion that we can give anyone is telling them the truth. Not fabricating, not making it up, not trying to make them comfortable with their lifestyle, but telling them the truth. That is the greatest love that you can give anyone. Anyone. But what did these people do? They mocked the messengers of God. What happens today when the messengers of God address the culture? They despised his word, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was, arose against his people till there was no remedy. Now, what God does next is he sends Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans come. And he, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar is an extension of God's wrath. He is using Nebuchadnezzar as his wrath upon his people. And Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Everything is torn down. The men, the women, the children, the young people are, are killed. Articles from the temple are taken. And everything is broken down because they chose to follow the ways of the world, to get involved with the gods of this world, and they did not keep the land Sabbath for 490 years, and they went into 70 years of captivity, because they sinned, and God dealt with sin. He will always deal with it. Some people say it's slow, and he's never going to deal with it. Oh, yes, he will, America. You cannot kill 65 million babies and not have some sort of consequence for it. And believe me, I think we're living out the consequence now because I believe we are in judgment now as witnessed by what is happening in our nation today as it is imploding and as we embrace the things of this world that are against God. That is what is happening. So there is a day of reckoning, an appointed time 
when God says no more and there is judgment. For the money changers, the den of thieves, their appointed time had come. And Jesus drove them out. Now that word drove is a very energy-filled word. It's ekbalo. Ekbalo. And it means this. And it means to eject, to thrust, to cast out. This is a violent, aggressive act by Jesus cleansing the leaven, cleansing the sin from the temple. Now, I want you to just take a pause here. You are the temple of God. I'm going to bring this out in a little bit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to deal with sin in our own life, not patting it on its back, not just putting up with it, but aggressively, violently, thrusting it out, casting it out from our lives. It is to be dealt with in a defined, aggressive manner. Not to be tampered with, not to be, not to be minimized. Jesus dealt with sin in his Father's house, and so must we. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now listen, prayer focus, not program focus. Let me say that again. The house of God is to be prayer-focused, not program-focused. Peter expands on this in Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 42. He tells us what the church is supposed to be. The church is described in this section. Now, there's four things. That, four, thing, four things. Each side. Here, four for you guys. Okay, four things that we're going to see here. There's a focus and an emphasis on the apostles' teaching, doctrine. The apostles, that's what, doctrine. Doctrine is important, folks. The church today goes, oh, it's so boring. You're going to go teaching again. I can't. No. The word of God is exciting. It's dynamic. It's life-changing. Doctrine, the teaching. Number two is fellowship, which is necessary to encourage one another to keep going. Now, when I thought about encouraging one another to keep going, I thought of the geese. I thought of the geese, and there's the head geese up there, and the geese is flying, and he's honking, honk, 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 and he's encouraging that one lazy one in the back, keep up, keep up. The one that's falling out of, out of the formation, get back in formation, get back in formation. And then another one takes his place, and then he becomes an encourager. Folks, we need to be together, particularly today, to encourage one another that we're okay. We're not insane. Even though the people think we're insane, most of the world thinks we're crazy. We are the ones that are not crazy. Does that make us crazy? I don't know, but anyway, we are not crazy. So number three, the breaking of bread, folks, that's communion. That's the Lord's table. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And number four, prayer focus. God desires a relationship with you, and that relationship requires communication between us and God. It doesn't have to be some high, flowery prayer. You can have short Nehemiah prayers. You can involve God any time during your day. We're to pray continuously, communion with God. So, this is what the focus of the church is to be. Now, what the church has become is quite different than the focus that it was to be. What has become? It has become program-oriented, and many churches are focused on video games, fun houses, and I'm going to show you a couple pictures here. Number one, a pastor flying in on a high wire. You have another guy shooting Nerf guns. You might recognize him. He's quite popular. It, 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 I ask you something. The world has come into the church. 
and it's influenced even the teachers in the church. That is a tragedy, folks. That is a tragedy. And I would ask you this, where is the fear of God, the awesome respect for God in his church today? Where is it? Many Christians treat God with such casualness, almost a dismissive behavior. I can take him or leave him attitude. If I need him, he'll be there for me. Otherwise, I'll just kind of go about my own business. Don't get too much into my life, God. Folks, that's the wrong Jesus. That's the wrong God. May the fear of God and awesome respect for God re-enter the true church of God today. There is a true church, folks. May the people of God worship God in spirit and in truth, like he said in John 424, when he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, that he is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth, as he really is, as outlined in Scripture, not as we make him up to be. What we see in American church today is quite different than the founding fathers. And I have a picture of an austere church here. And I'm not picturing that your church has to be as austere as this. But what I am emphasizing is you see the thing in the pulpit, that's called a Bible. And you see that it's worn. That's the point. Now, today we have technology, and I have to concede that you can, you can read your thing on your, on your palm and that sort of thing. You can use that. But there's nothing to me like hearing this as people are searching the Scriptures for truth. Now, I know that I'm old. And that's just how I look at it. But, and when someone young comes up here, there'll be another one younger who uses their hand, who uses their little thing. That's fine. As long as you're reading it, as long as you're digesting it, as long as you're meditating on your precepts. What does it say in Psalm 119? I'll meditate on your precepts. I'll contemplate your ways. I'll delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. I will live by them. I will live by them. The main purpose of the church, folks, is this. It's threefold. It's to glorify God. Number one is God. Not the guy with the Nerf gun. Not the guy flying in on the high wire. Not the comedian. This is not comedy hour, although you can use a little humor from time to time to lighten things up. But anyway, it's to glorify God. He's high and lifted up. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 57, 15. Thus, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. That is God. Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah dies, uh, died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. Who is to be lifted up in any assembly? It is God. It is not a person. It is not the pastor. It's not the rich guy in the church. It's not the most influential business leader in the church. It is God who is to be lifted up high. Number two is to edify the saints or to encourage the th saints to keep going like the geese quacking. And, then, and number three is to evangelize the world. Let me ask you a question. Do you see any place for foolishness in the presence of God? And hopefully you can say with a loud no. No. I want to take a journey for a second. I want to take you on a trip into the temple, into the tabernacle. And I want to show you how the temple and the tabernacle relate to you. Now, we've been through this before. Chuck Missler turned me on to this. This is not original with me. So you'll see some pictures that you've seen in the past. I want to show you the temple mount first of all. This is Herod's temple mount. 
This is the, one, the temple that Zerubbabel built is the second temple. The first one was Solomon destroyed. Zerubbabel was called to rebuild the temple. He did, but it was very poor. Uh, not poor, but it was not as ornate as Solomon's temple. And they looked at it as a big disappointment compared to Solomon's temple. And God spoke to Zerubbabel and says, Do not despise the days of small things. You are carrying out my will. Herod beautified the temple at the time of Jesus and made it into something spectacular. The tabernacle shows us a prescribed way to approach God. There is a prescribed way to approach God. We don't just go on our own. We don't just make up the rules as we go. There's a prescribed way. God is holy. God is structured. God is ordered. He is to be approached in a certain way. And listen to this. No one ever runs into the presence of God. You, it's always with reverence. When you ascend the steps at the, at the temple, you are, they are uneven, so no one can run up the steps into the presence of God. You're watching your step, watching your step, watching your step as you go and ascend into the presence of the, of the God of Israel, the God of heaven. God, listen to this, God is structured and God never, ever, ever wings it. Have you ever heard that? Let's wing it. Code word, I'm not prepared. Code word, I'm, let's just wing it. Now, I'll grant you that there are times when God can interrupt your preparation and he can say, he can speak to the, whoever's leading and he can go in another direction. You have to be open and malleable to how God is leading. But I would say, I don't know, 95% of the time, Dale, something like that. They should be prepared. Whoever's coming up here should be prepared. So I have a picture of the tabernacle and the tabernacle is going to show you how to approach God. Now watch what it says. Now there's a door. There's one entrance. This is the eastern gate. One entrance into the tabernacle. Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever enters by me will have life. Then you have the altar of burnt offerings. Jesus is the sacrifice that is required, which gives you the cleansing that is required to allow you to progress to God because this is where he dwelled. The Shekinah glory dwelled in the Holy of Holies. This room is called the Holy Place. In it were three articles. You had the golden lampstand. You had the table of showbread. And you had the altar of incense. The lampstand was the only light in this. This was all covered by multiple layers of, of, of skins and cloth and that sort of thing. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Then the showbread, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And the altar of incense is God hears our prayers. He intercedes for us on behalf of the saints. And then you go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, where the most holy elements were, the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim on the covenant, on, 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 the, on the Ark. And on the Ark is where the blood was placed. And on the Ark was where salvation was was demonstrated. The atonement was made and the blood was shed by the, by the lamb and put on the ark. It's the same thing. Jesus shed his blood so that we can have life everlasting with him. It is a demonstration. Jesus says this, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it, made it into a den of thieves. Now in verse 14 and 15, he's going to cleanse the temple and it'll be used properly at this point. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, 
They could care less about the people healed. They could care less about the blind healed. And the children were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, save now Jesus, Hosanna. They were indignant. They were furious. They were angry. Jesus, folks, is preparing his people for his reign in his kingdom, how everything will be perfect in his millennial kingdom, where everyone will be healthy. Spirit, won't this be great? Healthy spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I mean, not one ache pain, not one aberrant thought, not one ounce of depression. I mean, if you're living here, you're struggling with some level of depression. Some level, because we all have inputs that tend to bring you down. A time when we will all be whole, complete, and lacking nothing. And these people are ticked off at Jesus because they, he is getting the glory and they are not. And they, th- they feel like he is stealing their thunder. Stealing their thunder. They were indignant. Now, in verse 16a, the religious phonies response to Jesus. And I want to talk about these religious phonies. I, I don't think it's right to come down on a high wire and say, look at me. Or shooting Nerf guns in the crowd and look at me. That is stealing the glory. These are phonies. 16a says this. And, they, and said to him, do you hear, Jesus, what they are saying? Do you hear, Jesus, what they are saying? The hyper-religious phonies cry out. Did you hear what they're saying, Jesus? Did you hear this? I want to say this, and I want to say this as plainly as we possibly can. Hopefully in your world, people are hearing what Jesus has said and taught you. Loud and clear, may our world hear where we stand. No cowering, no falling back. We are followers of a king. Look, what's happening today? The true church is being asked, to compromise. The true church is being asked to embrace things that are not in this word. And the true church will not. The false church, and it's falling left and right, folks. There are denominations, there are groups of people that are falling. You know, you've been here long enough. You've seen what's going on. We try to keep things current. The true church cannot go along to get along. It will not do that. We can never, you can never, the true church will not accept the radical homosexual agenda, will not accept transgender story hour, which has even come into churches, not, li- not just libraries. We cannot accept Marxists, which are atheistic. Marxism is atheistic. Deny the existence of God. Burn it down. Burn down and destroy the Judeo-Christian ethic in America. We cannot accept, the true church cannot accept globalism, open borders, because it's against the way that God has prescribed nations to be in the Bible. We cannot, we cannot the true church cannot get on board of there's many ways to God. You can have your way, but like Oprah, you can have all kinds of other ways. Oprah's wrong. Oprah's wrong. You might like Oprah, but Oprah's wrong. There's one way, the way, and that's Jesus. And the true church cannot say we can just give the government our kids like they did in Nazi Germany. Hitler says, if I can have your kids, I can have their minds. I can control them. That's what's going on today in public education. Indoctrination instead of education. 
We can't give them. We can't give in. We serve a different king, folks. We're in a different kingdom. We have different values. We see the world through a different worldview. We do. Because we belong to a different king. Scripture calls us the restrainer. The Holy Spirit-filled church restraining evil in the world. That's what it is. Scripture calls us salt and light. Impacting culture with something very strange in America today. The truth. The truth. Scripture tells us to expect the things that we see today. Scripture tells us to watch and be ready. As the bride of Christ, to watch and be ready, because you don't know when the bridegroom will come for you. The rapture of the church. And Scripture tells us to encourage one another daily, to keep going and not fall back. Hebrews 10.35, I mentioned this last time, I'm going to mention it again. It says this, you need to persevere. Because when you have done the will of God, you will, see what, you will receive what he has promised. For he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one must live by faith. And if he shrinks back, cowers in a corner, shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. For he is coming and his coming will not delay. Scripture tells us, do not buy into the religious hype. Don't buy into the phonies that you are seeing all over TV and that sort of thing, at least most places. There's some good, few good teachers out there, but not many. Don't buy into the religious type. The church was originally called the way. The way. The way. Responding to John 14, 16, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's it. The way. And the world hates it. Follow God's ways, folks, not the phony world's ways. In 16b, Jesus' response to the religious phonies. Watch what he says here. It's rather convicting to me. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Have you never read? He expects us to have a clue. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. There's going to be praise to God. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So, I want you to allow these words to just permeate your soul, permeate your being. Have you never read? And again, God expects his people to know what he says in his word. He, this is an expectation. It's not just simply for the Bible student. The reading of Scripture is not just for the Bible student, the seminary student, the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the youth group leader, the home group leader. Folks, it is for all of us to be in the Word, to know the Word, to be Bereans. The Bereans in Acts 17.11 search the Scriptures daily to see if, what things, see if these things were so. Now, I want you to hear this. Did you catch it? They search the scriptures daily. The normal Christian life, folks, is be in God's word daily. It's your, it really is your daily bread, your sustenance. You cannot go without this. this it is, you cannot. Now, when I'm digging into the word, I'm not looking for the word to tell me what I want to hear. How I want a scripture twist to make it say what I want it to say. That is not what we're looking for. I do not want to engage in scripture twisting. I want to know what God wants me to know through 
his word. I do. I want to know that. The Christian life cannot be lived by wishing and hoping and dreaming and pretending. It is lived out by digging and studying and trusting God. That's how it's lived out. In verse 17, then Jesus left them. There is a point where there is no more arguing. He had been to them multiple times in our study in Matthew. There will be no more debating, no more revealing the truth to the blind. Their appointed time had come and passed. The Messiah is done. Lesson is this. Ecclesiastes 3, time, 3 7 says this. Folks, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Everybody knows Kenny Rogers and, and the gambler. You've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You've got to know when to keep silent. When it's enough. They're not budging. It's not their time. Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said we're not to give what is holy to the dogs. We don't cast our pearls before the swine. We join God where God is at work. You test the waters. We are testing the waters for identification, not condemnation. It's not our job to condemn. And believe me, if they're not ready to hear, back off. But like I've said multiple times, be ready to engage as God opens your heart, opens your eyes and says, go again, go again, go again. This could be their moment. This is their moment. This is their time. Never give up. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of do-overs. God is a God of new beginnings all the time. No one has gone so far that they can't be brought back to righteousness. That is God. Some closing thoughts. Jesus cast the leaven out of Father's house. And remember, they worshipped in the temple then, but today, as I said earlier, you are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. You are the temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. The temple is you indwelled by the spirit of the living God. Now, that word temple is naos. And that's the holy of holies. When you believed and you said yes to Jesus Christ, your spirit was given life and your spirit, God came to dwell within you in, with his spirit. That happened the moment you believed. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins. You had to be what John says, Born again, the Christian vernacular being born again, that is why it is used. Because we are born dead, dead, no relationship with God, separated from God, lost forever until we say yes to Jesus Christ, and then we are born again. That is the second birth. That is your spiritual birth. Everybody have that down? Was that equivocal? Is that confusing? Born dead, you're given life when you say yes to Jesus. Now, I want to show you something. Temple in the Spirit of Man, you've seen similar things to this. Chuck Missler is going to come up here. Not now, but in a second, he'll come over here. Now, when you get saved, the Spirit of God indwells you. This would be analogous to the Holy of Holies. When the Spirit indwells you, there's a change in your soul. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, the way I act, that sort of thing will be carried out in my body. If I am Spirit-controlled, my soul is controlled by God, I will act in a world in a way that is 
congruent with God. Now, I can be born again of the Spirit, but then again, I can still choose to walk in my old ways, my old fallen nature, and I can carry out the dictates of my body. This person will experience nothing but misery and difficulty their whole life until they say, no, I want to yield to the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I will change the way that I think, and I will change the way that I respond to this world that is around me. Now, Missler puts it this way in his book, Kingdom, Power, and Glory. At the moment of salvation, the instant you're saved, you get a new spirit indwelling the Holy of Holies, the naos of your life, the centrality of your life. He gives you a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, something like that, he says something like this, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll cause you to keep my judgments, walk in my ways. You'll be different because you have a new heart and a new spirit. God gives you different thoughts. This is your soul level. And you get something called God's will in your life. Now you can make faith choices that become your choice. Not emotional choices, not your thought choices, but faith choices. And this will be carried out in your body as you walk through life. Folks, you have something in you that can allow you to live through this thing called the misery of humanity while we're here, called the Holy Spirit of the living God. And he can pick up your step in the most arduous of situations. He can change your course and he can give you joy unspeakable in the most difficult situations if you yield to him. But if you walk in your own ways, you can walk in your own misery. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit allows you to live free. And I want to concentrate on this, that whole thing that Neil Anderson gave that in, our, in our prelude today, on the truth statement, talked about freedom. The Spirit of God allows you to live free no matter the conditions. North Korean prison camp, free. You had people in, in, in the Hanoi Hilton that were Christians, free. Free, although they were beaten every day to an inch of their life. Free. You can live free from the bondage of your old sin nature. You don't have to carry out the dictates of the old you. You can make faith choices and not flesh choices. You can actually live out the Christian life. You're free, folks, to live with the peace of God and the presence of God, no matter the situation. Free. And this will come up on the screen. To act different. Free to give up your will, and your way, free to live as God has made you free. Now, I'm emphasizing this free because slavery is so repugnant to us because we have been made by God to be free people. I'm not just talking about human slavery, which is awful, but it's slavery to anything that can be awful in your life. More on that in just a second. It really is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment choice to live free or to live in bondage. Many believers today, and they are believers in the Lord Jesus, live in bondage, never experiencing the freedom of Christ. They are losing the battle. The battlefront is the mind. The mind. That is where Satan attacks the mind. You're thinking. You're thinking. And that is where we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I don't have to live that way anymore. 
I don't, and I'm going to get heavier on this in just a second. You cannot control another person. Have you understood that yet? Do you really get that? All the bantering, all the begging and pleading, all the manipulation that we do to try to change somebody's life, that ain't working. I mean, you just keep bashing your head against the wall. Someone has to change, and it's by the Holy Spirit's power that they change. You are free, folks. So live as free people, not controlled by your feelings. Did you hear that? You can live free, not controlled by your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. Not controlled by your runaway thoughts. Now remember this. A thought is just a thought. Until you make it more than a thought. Until you ruminate on it. Until you turn it over and over in your being and that thought takes over you. It is, when that thought comes in and it's contrary to God, you get rid of that thought. So if the thought is not in line with the word of God, you cast it out, you take captive every, I'm sorry, Maritza, you take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And if the thought is out of line with the word of God, what do we do? Throw it out. Now let's, I don't use this very much, but let's say this together. I'm going to say throw it out and you say it with me. One, two, three, throw it out. If it's not in line with God, throw it out. Cast it out. Now, I want you to think about these things that you can cast out. Now, you can have your own list. If you're doing this talk, you can make your own list. This is my list that I'm going to give you right now. You throw out your addictions. We all have those. Different levels, different degrees. We, we, we have those. You throw out those addictions. When that little bait comes, you say, no, cast it out. Renounce it in the name of Jesus right at its inception point. I will not receive that thought. Cast out worry. Anybody here got a little worry going? Yeah. Worry. Fear. Out of control anger. Simmering anger. Cast it out. Lust thoughts. Thoughts of inadequacy. I'm just not good enough. Cast that out. Cast it out. Thoughts of worthlessness. Thoughts of suicide. Cast it out. Violently. Remember, these are violent actions. You take it, no, I will not live there. Cast it out. People cut themselves because they're in pain. Cast it out. Any thought that is not of the truth, that is not of the truth of the word, cast it out. Anything contrary to God, cast it out. And I say this, renounce it in the name of Jesus. Did you hear that? That thought comes in, it's not congruent with the word. I'm renouncing it in the name of Jesus. I'm not living there. Now, you need to know this. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. And by all means, act like who you are in Christ. If you're claiming the name, then act like the one that you're claiming. Know who you are. You are the bride of Christ. You are sons and daughters of the king. You have an inheritance. You are kings and priests. You are valuable to God. So valuable that he sent his God right here to die for you. That's how valuable you are. He loves you implicitly. He wants to have you in his family. He's pulling and tugging. Please come. Don't go the way of the world. Don't go your own way.
Know who you are in Christ. And folks, by all means, get the leaven out of your temple. Your temple. Your house. It could be your own body, your own house, family, whatever it might be. Live free. Live free. No one can do this for you. No one can do this for you. It is God in you and your steps to freedom. That's a kind of a quote from Neil Anderson in his book, Bondage Breaker. Maybe then you, could, you too can say with Jesus and live free, by the way, live free, my house, my house, inside here, inside each one of you, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house will be called the house of prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says this. Constant communion with God. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Those three things. For this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you to be joyful always, to pray continuously, to give thanks in all circumstances. These three things. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You have been set free. So folks, I would encourage you, live as free people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you that your word tells us how to live in this world. Your world is a template for us, a guide, a direction, are the rules for how we are to live. And may we follow what you've written in your word because we know that it is pleasing to you. You are our Father, and we desire to please you. I pray that today, Lord, somebody that's bound up with something, somebody that's dealing with something, we all are, so that's like 100% here, that we would take those things, those thoughts, those things that want to drag us down, and cast them out. Renounce them in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May the Lord set you free right now where you are sitting. No more in bondage. No more. In Jesus' name, amen.